When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. That were the words, we don't want to finish in the Champions League. But every time it was going wrong, we just kept turning around and blaming the coaches. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. Um, and we ended up getting relegated that year, which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time. Well, it was really Sky that put an end to that. They may not have handled it very well. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technowood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off, as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the Best Equality in Social Sports Podcast. That's enough from me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Technoward School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to avoid our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to, to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former England cricketer. He was all he has also played for Surrey in Essex. Welcome to the podcast, Alex Tudor. Hey guys, how are you? Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. <laughs> no problem. We like to start our podcast with some quickfire questions before we start talk about your career. Are you ready? I am ready, my friend. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh gosh! Oh my goodness! Oh, you've done me there. Um, <laughs> I would say, oh wow! Um, I'd most probably say Freddie. Freddie's most probably most the most famous person I have in my in my phone book. So I would say Freddie Flintoff. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That's a very good question. Um, who would I trade lives with? Um, uh, wow. So you could, it, it, this could be so many things. So it could go down a sports route. If it goes down a sports route, 
I'm a massive Michael Jordan fan. Um, I just like the way that he played. Everyone that saw the last dance or the intensity and and how much that he practiced and 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 the willingness for the rest of his teammates to be up to that level as well. Because at the end of the day, he was just about winning games and winning trophies or winning the ring as they do in the NBA. So I admire him and obviously his his range of. Uh, trainers and sportswear the Jordan brand and and how far that's gone now and, and the amount of money that he's made not that the money is the issue but just you know that an individual has um basically transformed sport really um with branding and stuff like that so he was most probably the first one I mean you could I could go into you know if away from sport um I suppose all the men and women that are doing well just to help others really so you know people doctors nurses people like that that are helping save lives and stuff i would you know i would i would like to also you know do that if you could go back to one day in a life what would it be and why <sighs> wow what would it be i i was lucky enough to meet the queen i met the queen in South Africa, in Soweto, in a township. Um, and obviously you get bombarded with protocol and obviously your Royal Highness speaks first and then whatever. You never really get a chance to fire back questions. You know, you're just sort of, you know, she's speaking to you and you're saying, yes, mom, yes, mom, whatever. And she's asking about how the tour was. This was an England tour that we were on at the time. At the time, we were getting beaten as usual back then. Um but it'd just be nice to just, you know, I suppose ask ask her some questions as well, really. But um, you know, with all what's gone on in the last month or so, you know, I've, I've been one of those lucky ones that you know has met the great lady. So I feel quite privileged in that. Um, but I think just yeah, just asking questions. I think maybe. Did she say anything to you? Do you remember what she said? Um, she just asked about how to talk because obviously, you know, she she um gets prepped. Um, obviously who she's meeting and uh, what we were doing there and stuff. So she was just asking how we were getting on. Um, and, it's it, you know, she was like, oh, it seems like the tour's not going very well, but hopefully it will turn around <laughs> and, and stuff like that. But no, she was she was um, a very impressive lady to meet, you know. And then the funny thing afterwards is that the world's media come over and, and want to know what she's asked you. I said, well, it's none of your bloody business. <laughs> That's between me and her. I'm not telling you. <laughs> So that was just that was all a bit weird because um, you know hundreds of people just run towards you afterwards. It's a bit intimidating, but as I said, I said yeah, um, whatever she's whatever the Royal Highness says, got none of your business. So <laughs> I'm not telling you anything. I, I want you, I want to take you back to the start. What are your memories as a child? What sort of bringing up did you have? Yeah, so. Um, my my dad was massive. He's a, a massive player in my life. You know, we we talk about role models and stuff like that. And a lot of people look for their sporting heroes for their role models, really. And I didn't have to look too far from home, really. My dad was mine. You know, I have an older brother, five years also, that I looked up to massively. So, you know, playing sport in the house was was massive. Um, my dad came over in the Windrush times. You're talking about early 60s. Um, and came over uh, to to the UK, um, and a lot of the West Indians that came over at the time, you know, they were 
they were decent sportsmen, but obviously at that time, the opportunities for work here was either transport in a medical profession, and they were the jobs that were about at the time. So that's what they came over to do to help out. Um, so my dad worked for London Transport for 30 odd years. And my early memories were just my brother and I going around watching my dad play because it used to be literally garages used to play against other garages on a Sunday. And the families would come. And obviously, being it, um, London Transport, you know, you, we, you would hide, they would get, we would get a bus, we'd all pack on the back of a bus and we'd go to all different parts uh, around London uh, where they were based and, and play these games. And so, as a young kid, we used to meet up with other kids of of the families and just play football, cricket for hours on end. And then watching my dad and his mates play and looking back, you know, the, the standard of cricket was very high. A lot of them, for me, could have played first-class cricket, but obviously, you know, they they were thinking about, you know, um, their families and stuff like that and, and income. So that's what they were doing. But the standard of cricket was very high. And um, just watching them and learning, really, uh, the competitiveness that they played, um, being a West Indian, it was there was a lot of food, rice and peas, chicken, everything like that. There was music. There was a little bit of rum. Uh, <laughs> not that I was drinking at that age, but it was it was all of that, and it was great grounding really for me. And then you know, as I said, my brother being five years older, playing with his friends, and and my schooling of you know, because I was younger, they never took a backward step. So your your level had to be high, otherwise you weren't gonna you weren't gonna survive. So I I learned very quickly, and I you know you had to be good, otherwise it was a waste of time. So I think that helped me in my early development, playing with older kids. Um, you know, my brother and his mates and stuff really really helped me to develop very very quickly, and just seeing a you know turning on the TV on terrestrial TV and 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 seeing faces that I was familiar with and obviously the West Indies at that time were extremely good sides. You talk about the early 80s under Clive Lloyd and then to, to, to Vivian Richards and you know you can reel off a whole heap of names. You know you think of um, Michael Holding and Joel Garner and Malcolm Marshall and Roberts and then obviously a little bit later you've got Walsh, Ambrose, Patterson and these type of guys. So you know being a young black kid coming up in South London and turning on the TV and and seeing these guys dominate all around the world as long as they did um, was something that I, I wanted to aspire to, to. You know, I wanted to to play the great game of cricket. And, you know, as time went on, I was lucky enough to do that. But, you know, I didn't have to look too far to see your heroes and, and people that you looked up to and admired. Is that opening partnership of Walsh and Ambrose the best opening partnership of all time? Well, it's, you've got to be debating. I mean, you, you talk to, to, to Pakistani, they're going to tell you that uh, it's Wacker and Wazim. You, you think of uh, um, Gillespie, McGran, and Brett Lee. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely up there, 100%, you know, just for the sheer weight of wickets, the way that they dominated, the control they also had. Um, and they, you know, they struck fear in, into, you know, opponent, uh, the opposition. Um, so they're definitely in the top three, um, for sure. I mean, people will go back, Lily Thompson. I mean, that weren't too, <laughs> that's <laughs> frightful to think about as well. You know, I mean, uh, there's many, I think they're definitely in the conversation, but who's the best? I mean, it's, it's, um, a matter of, I suppose, people's opinions and everyone has one. Um, but there for me would definitely be up there for longevity, 
the amount of wickets they got and how they dominated. You joined Surrey and made your debut in 1995. What are your memories of joining Surrey? Yeah, it was it was funny because um, literally I played for London Schools, which is an organisation um, up until the age of 16. After 16, my dad had the, the foresight to say, because there was a lot of counties in for me at that time. So my dad said, look, why don't you go to the MCC ground staff, which a lot of people, so Ian Botham, Phil DeFreitas, and all these people have come through. So he said, why don't, why don't you go there and, and have a season and then see what happens, see what the options are. So I went there and obviously you're, you're in the shop window. A lot of counties come and see you. You're playing against different counties. Their coaches come up to you and, and try and sell their club to, to, to you. But what it was is the 94, I just remember England were playing South Africa. It was a one-day game. Alex Stewart was walking, you know, from the main ground to the nursery for some nets with Jeff Arnold, who was bowling coach at the time. And he sort of, my brother had signed for Surrey in 92, I think it was. He was like, look, young Tudor. He said, your older brother had signed for Surrey. You will you will be doing the same. And anyone that knows Alec, that's literally, you know, he, he, his nickname's Ming the Merciless. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. So, you know, and I admired Alec. And I think obviously 94, that winter, he had got the two double um, back-to-back hundreds against the West Indies at Bridgetown. So, you know, you looked and admired him and, and, you know, I liked the way that he played and stuff like that. And it was pretty much after that, after the great man spoke, it was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. So I phoned my dad and said, look, Alex wants to sign me. Um, Sorry, want to sign me. And he was like, well, okay, if that's what you want to do, son, um, you know, whatever you want to do. And, And I suppose the rest is history. And yeah, I signed. I remember we went to Perth pre-season, myself and Ben Holyoke, who I was very close with. Um, we signed um, together. We went out to, to Perth for pre-season. It was a little bit surreal. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing and in the change room with people that I looked up to as a, as a young man. All of a sudden, they're teammates. And that was interesting just to see that the way they go about it. You know, I'm coming from playing school cricket and, and 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 young young boy cricket, England under 19, 17s, and all of a sudden you're in the change room with Fort, Stewart, Hollyoak, Butcher, Bicknell, Bicknell, Ward, and all these guys that have had fantastic careers. And I just wanted to see how they went about their business, how they how they prepare, what they eat, what do they do. And and uh, and, that, and that was a great, great lesson for me. And yeah, it just it was just a whirlwind after that. You know, young lad with enthusiasm. I just wanted to to do well and perform. And, and my opportunity, my first my first game came uh, against Middlesex at Lords. You know, I'm playing in the first team that same year, uh, and it went okay um, personally. But as a team, we got hammered. <laughs> we John Embry and Phil Tufnell sort of sorted us out. But um, it was yeah, it was it was good. It, it sort of happened. It happened quite fast for me. You know, once I'm you know, I signed and, and as I said, playing the second team did extremely well. They saw something in me and, and, and gave me the chance, gave me the opportunity to, to play in the first team. You joined a very strong story team who had players such as Alex Stewart, Adam Hollyoak, Mark Butcher, Graham Thorpe and more. What was it like to play with these players? Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I, I remember watching 
I think it must have been 1990 or something or one. And there was a, a Nat West game on, on, on BBC. And, you know, it was a semi-final, you know, playing Northampton. And, you know, as you said, the names that you reeled off then, you know, late, um, somebody passed away quite recently, uh, a few years ago, Joey Benjamin. He was in the side. Um, Monty Lynch was in the side. And, and, and all these guys, they say Hollyoak, Stuart, Thorpe, all, all these guys. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in a change room with them. Was a little bit surreal, um, but you know, as a young man that loved the great game, you know, I was really infused and just excited to to be on the same park as these guys and being able to rub shoulders with them, ask them questions, see how they go about. Because I, you know, back then I never, well, the lads will most probably, uh, I wasn't shy of speaking as you're most probably figuring out now. But um, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm a, I watch people. I'm a bit of a people watcher and, and I just just see the way that they go about how they prepare, what are they eating, you know, how are they training and stuff like that. So that was that was a bit of an eye-opener, you know, because it obviously, you know, when you're talking about Stuart Fort, Butcher, Hollyoak, these guys, you know, they, you know, they, you know, Stuart, Stuart uh, Fort at the time were, you know, regulars in the England side. So seeing them, how they went about, preparing and, and, and getting ready for games and stuff was was exciting for me just to see how they prepare and you know everything's quite meticulous especially with Stewie and, and 4P with the way that he how his bats are he messes around with his back grips and changes the back grips and it has to feel right in his hand and Stewie's very meticulous he's you know he's got ADHD not ADHD but he's, he's a he's a OD what do we say he's um got OCD yeah. so everything is like <laughs> Precise from his shoes to his socks to everything, and he and I remember he always said to me, you know, if you if you look good, you give off the impression you know what you're doing, and you give yourself <laughs> a chance. So it's, it's all those little one percenters, and that stayed with me to now, really. And, and I'm in education, I'm I'm in a school, and uh, I, I work at Kim Bolton, and I'm forever telling kids about how people see you. You know, people you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but they do. And how, and how your 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 appearance, how you look, how you carry yourself, um, you have to be really mindful because people are always watching, and that's something that's always always stuck with me. And I remember Stewie sort of laying that down on me quite early on in my my Surrey career. Surrey had a good spell during the late nineties and early two thousands, winning lots of trophies. Mm. What made Surrey so successful during that time? Yeah, it was it was interesting because. You know, I as I said, I went into a change room and there were some serious players, but they weren't winning anything. So, you know, they used to get called, you know, show ponies, brown ass. People just didn't like Surrey. Um, you know, players had a bit of panache, the way they carried themselves, being from London, boys liked to to shop and look a certain way and 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 it used to upset a lot of the other counties. But uh literally in ninety-six, Dave Gilbert, um, Aussie fast bowler. Um, was in charge of New South Wales, came over to Surrey and he literally transformed, I think, the way we prepared, how we were. So literally the old change room at Surrey had a, a partition, a massive partition. And you had first team change room, second team change room. So you had the senior players, so your Thorpe, uh, your Thorpe, your Stewart, your um, Monty Lynch, Ward, Bicknell, Bicknell, all these guys that have been there from like early 80s, late 80s to, you know, Hollyoak, Butcher, 
when we first came, they were in the second team change room because at the time they hadn't been capped. So you had this divide. So his first thing was, well, we're all one team. That wall's coming down. So the wall came down. So we were one massive big change room that you you now see the Surrey change room, you know, when the cameras go in there or whatever. It's a one big massive change room. And he, he was the instigator of that, Dave Gilbert. And he just he just couldn't get why we had all these international players and star players, but we weren't winning nothing. So um, he sort of sorted that out. And then when we won our first uh, Sunday league, it was just a ripple effect. It was that that sense of, okay, we, we know what that feels like. We want to continue that. And then, you know, coincide some, some, some great signings. You know, Ian Salisbury came to us from Sussex. Um, I think the, the, the biggest linchpin for us was acquiring Sakhle Mushtaq. Um, Pakistan spin bowler, the you know the inventor of the deucer of the ball that goes the other way. Um, he was he was he was breathtaking, and it, he turned a good team to a great team. And as you say, for five or so years, we were we were a feared side. We were dominant. Um, no one really wanted to play, especially at home. Um, and it was a, it was a great time to be a part of that team. Just just to see you know oppositions not knowing what to do because, you know, how do you prepare a wicket when we've got fast bowlers, two of the best spinners in the country? It's, what what do we prepare? We've got, you know, these batters that come at us hard. Um, you know, we back low down, all the way down. It's It was intimidating for people, really. And, and it's like we smelt blood sometimes. And once we did, that was it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't let up. And it was a really great time to be a part of that that uh, change room with those players, the people around the club. Um, it, 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 it was a good feeling. And as I said, we won, I think, nine trophies in seven years under Adam Holly Oak and, and Keith Medley-Cott. And it was, it, was really, it was really good. In 1997, your good friend Adam Holly Oak became captain. Mm. We spoke to Adam on the podcast a few months ago and he's a great character. But <laughs> he is I want to know what sort of captain he was and how did he lead the team to do so much success? Yeah, it, it was interesting because at the time, you know, um, Alex Stewart was the club captain, but he was he was hardly there because he was he was on England duty. So sorry, made that decision that listen, Adam would always fill in for him, and he was doing a really good job. And then the club said, look, you know, let's make Adam club captain. And you know, as a as a as a just a player and how he was, and you would see how he was on the podcast or whatever. But he's a he he not say he was a bit of a rebel, but he wasn't like he never really he didn't always toe the party line as a player. But then under when he got the captaincy, he became this philosopher and he'd be reading books from Gandhi and all <laughs> all types of things. And I think I think the one thing, well, not the one thing. There's a couple of things I love the bloke. There's a couple of things is that. He never asked you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Everyone feared him because he would knock you out. Because he, you know, he, he as you know, he, he he went into professional boxing, cage fight, all this sort of thing. But so he's he's always had that in him. So people never used to mess with him. Um, so I think that also helped because when he spoke, you listen. You wouldn't want to cross him because you'll end up on the on 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 the wrong side, which you don't want to do. So. I think if you when you put all those elements together, um, 
he he and he also had very good players. Let's not get that wrong. He literally, you know, gave give Sacklane the ball, give Bicknell the ball, myself, Ian Salisbury, Ben Olio, Azamamood. It was like he had a an array of tools to call upon. And and the captain's only as good as well, I say is as only as good as his bowlers, because bowlers win your games, even though batters would tell you something different. <laughs> but 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 bowlers win your games and um he had an array of of bowlers to choose from to to on any given day to come up and win him a game. So um he had that, yeah. And and as I said, it wasn't like he was a technical genius. He wasn't, but he would always sometimes do something out of the ordinary if not that it happened too often, but if there was a, a session that wasn't going our way or something was sort of dragging along, he would just do something absolutely random, be it he'll put on a bowler that normally doesn't bowl, he'll set a field a certain way. It might be something he says, so he might feel like, okay, I need to get this going. So he might chirp up and try and upset the batsman some way or whatever. And then we just all followed really. And um, when it, be it, we needed some runs, we needed someone to put in that match performance innings, a bowler to come and bowl him a spell that's going to change the game. He had that at his disposal and he used it really well. So, um, yeah, he was on the podcast a few minutes ago and I messaged Ooh. him yesterday and I said, you're coming on. Um, anything <laughs> to ask or any good stories? So he replied saying, <laughs> <laughs> ask Alex about the day we played Lancashire and he was injured. I asked him to bowl and he said he was 75% fit and he agreed he would bowl. He cut back his pace and the and bowled within himself and ended up with career best figures. So make sure he thanks me for getting his career best figures for him. <laughs> I thought he was going to tell you to talk about something else, but no, listen, um, that was, that day was massive for me as in regards of, because sometimes as a bowler, you don't quite feel right. And I had a side problem and I, and I, I just didn't feel right. And we're playing Lancashire and uh, from day dot, I've always, Tested myself, either be it Lancashire and Yorkshire for me were the two big teams that you wanted to perform against because they had international players, they're massive clubs like we were, and you wanted to do well against them. Um, and I was just, I was struggling. And I just, I remember speaking to him and Keith Medical. I said, Look, coach, I can't, I don't feel well enough because I always want, you know, it was that you want to play at 100% fit. Uh, we're not 100% fit because as you get older, you sort of know that, you know, what you can can get through and what you can't get through. And I, I just said, look, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do it for you guys in this game. Four-day game, you know, you're going to have to bowl spells and stuff like that. So I was like, I don't think I could do it. And they just sat me down and just said, look, you know, Bickers, Bickers was injured, Martin Bicknell was injured. Um, and, and we were a little bit bare, really. Um, there would have been a lot of inexperience coming in from the second team. Whatever. So they just said, look, if you bowl within yourself, that would be as good as what we have to call upon. So do that and I said okay look if this is what you want um, as long as you know that's fine and I ended up just relaxing I ended up bowling at a decent enough pace but I just bowled and relaxed and and, and it just happened and as you say I got my, my career best figures 7 for 48 or whatever it was and against Lancashire and I just always remember they said like let this be a massive moment for you in your career where you don't always have to be 100% fit to bowl it's just knowing your body, knowing what you can get through. Um, and as I said, as a you know, I was still quite young at the time, and it was it was a massive moment in my career where it's just like, yeah, okay, I un- I understand this now. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'll thank him and Keith Medlicott <laughs> for giving me that motivational speech. And um, 
And yeah, as I said, yeah, against Lancashire and, and getting my career best figures. You've had a very impressive start to your England career. You've got Stephen Markwell and Ricky Ponting out. That's a very mm. impressive start. Yeah, again, listen, I was uh, I was 21 at the time. The call-up, um, what England used to do, they used to take a young bowler for a bit of work experience, as they call it, um, on tour. And Ashley Cowan, the Essex big fast bowler, went to the West Indies and I think enjoyed himself a little bit too much because um, yeah, I, f- I think he, he didn't feel like he was ever going to get into the starting eleven. So he enjoyed the nightlife. He liked to drink. And those type of things. So I always remember meeting up with the England team and, and Mike Atherton always saying to me, he says, don't do an Ashley Cowan. And I said, well, you don't have to worry about that because for one, I don't drink. So you, 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 you don't need to worry about it. And, then, and this is an opportunity. I wasn't expecting it to come. So I remember being on the flight. It was my 23rd birthday, which is on Sunday. So the 23rd of October is my birthday. Had it on the plane going to Australia. So you don't get much better than that. Remember Wayne Morton bringing out a cake. I can't tell you what was on the cake, but um, <laughs> because it's a family show, but there was a, there was a cake um, that he brought out on my twenty first birthday. Always memorable, and and again being on this plane with people that I watched when I was at school. When all of a sudden I'm I'm on the plane with them and calling them teammates. So that was an experience. And again in Australia against that seriously good team, we were not doing very well. Uh, and Alex Stewart was captain of England at the time, and he just had the feeling. And uh, I remember prior when we was in Brisbane, he said, look, Jews, I've, I've got some good news, I've got some bad news. The good news is, is that uh, it was Ian Botham back there, not Sir Ian, but Ian Botham wants to have a, a talk with you. I was like, wow, that's amazing. He goes, the bad news is you've got to meet him in the foyer at five o'clock in the morning because he's done one of his walks because he was preparing for one of his leukaemia walks. He, um, so he was getting his miles in. So he goes, look, you, you need to meet him at 5 a.m. You're going to go for a walk with Ian. So I was like, oh, okay, that was fine. And it was just, you know, he was breaking down. Look, if you play at Perth, this is where you should bowl, blah, blah, blah. International cricket, don't worry about it, just relax. All this, it was a fantastic one. I'll never forget it. It was like a three-hour walk. You say walk, I was literally running because he walked so damn fast. Um, <laughs> just trying to keep up with him was unbelievable, the speed that he, walk, he walked at. And um, so I sort of had, you know, I remember phoning my dad and my mum saying, look, there's an opportunity. I may, I may play, but the decision hasn't been made yet. Um, and it was between me and Dean Headley. And Alex Stewart couldn't make his mind up the night before. So obviously I had the worst night's sleep before that test match. Um, because I was really nervous, obviously. And then come day of the morning, turn up at the ground. He says, Alex, congratulations. Going to give you a cap. I remember having a word with uh, Ian Chappell for Channel 9 TV and all this up. So I'm thinking, oh my God, this is this is real. Um, and yeah, making my test debut and, and it happened really quickly. Uh, we, we we won the toss. We decided to bat. Weren't a, good, weren't a great idea, but we thought we'd <laughs> bat first. I was batting maybe a half an hour after lunch. Um, so we weren't doing very well, but I ended up getting 18 not out and that settled my nerves, came to bowl, I think Cork and Dominic Cork, or was it, um, I think Alan Mulally, Darren Goff opened the bowling, then Dominic Cork and then myself, I came on quite early because nothing was happening and I just remember bowling my first ball to Mark Taylor 
and just being as nervous as hell. My hands were so sweaty. But once I bowled that first ball, when he left it, it just sort of settled me down and just got into it. And as you say, got Steve War out, Mark War out, Ponting, and then Glenn McGraw was my fourth wicket. And it was like, yeah, that's not a bad free. Um, <laughs> no disrespect to, to Glenn McGraw for his batting, but, you know, that top three there, you know, I admired uh, Mark War for years, just the way that he batted, the elegance that he had. So getting in was great. Steve War was an absolute nightmare because he always used to get runs against England. I remember in the 89 series, he, he was just getting runs and runs and runs and his record against England was a joke. Ricky Ponty was sort of in and out of the team around that time, but still a very fine player. So to get him was great. And yeah, it was just a, a debut of dreams, really. And, you know, for myself, I mean, for the team, we lost in two and a half days, but um, which is, you know, regular for England back then. But it was, um, yeah, it was sort of recognition, really, where you sort of think as a young lad, you know, or you want to play to best cricket and you say these things, and then it happens. And then it's, do I belong here? So to have a good start, you're thinking, oh, right, maybe maybe I can do this. Um, and maybe the decision that they made to pick me was the right one in this time. Because you, you you do sometimes have those doubts, you know, when these things happen to you, especially at that elite level. Um, so to, to do well and have that start is definitely, definitely helped massively. If you haven't already, then be sure to download our new app, Gold, the home of challenges. Post and take on challenges, call out your friends, and top leaderboards. Challenges can be about absolutely anything, so be as creative as you like. Be sure to follow our social media, too, for awesome giveaways. That's gold. After your debut and getting five wickets in total, you didn't play the next two tests. Were you injured, and how did it feel to miss out the next few games? Yeah, it was. It was actually, I was quite happy to miss the last, the 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 the, the one after. So we played at Perth, which is at that time the world's quickest, bounciest wicket. Then we went to Adelaide. It was ridiculously <laughs> hot. It was like I don't know, sixty in the shade or something. It was it was crazy hot. <laughs> like so, in Adelaide, you you know, it was that hot that you had to take heskies out or just drinks, and um, where they sometimes have like the sprinkler system or whatever. You were just feeding drinks in there for the lads because it was just that hot. Um, you had to have drinks breaks all the time. I remember Darren Goff and Dean Headley literally bowling one over spells just to rest. And I remember Dean Headley cramped up badly and Wayne Morton and I had to carry him off and we literally threw him in an ice bath. He just had nothing left. All the salt had left his body. So he just cramped up horribly. And I remember like, uh, I think, Jason Gillespie maybe missed that game as well. And we were walking out drinks. And he's like, hey, big lad, how have they left you out here? You just got five five wickets in the last test. And this wicket was flat as it was. There was like no pace in it whatsoever. So I really did not mind missing that one. <laughs> I think Langer got a big hundred. I think Steve Waugh got a hundred or whatever. So I was quite happy to miss that one. Melbourne test match, which is the Boxing Day one, I was due to play. But we played a game of football the day before and I did my groin. Um, so even back then, you used to have the issues with the warm-up when the lads always wanted to play football. The intensity of the football matches were quite <laughs> intense as well. So you couldn't just go half-hearted. And, and I pulled my groin. So uh, Alice, uh, Angus Fraser came in for me and uh, Alex Stewart was going uh, to keep 
and bat if I played. But because I didn't play, he then went to open the batting and Warren Heck made his debut. Um, and then we all know what happened at that game where Dean Headley bowled a spell of his life. Uh, Darren Goff cleaned up the tail. We, we ended up winning, um, which was unbelievable um, to be a part of that um, and just see the jubilation of the, you know, the Barmy Army, the fans at the end. And Mark Rambukash was on the bus singing. It was um, it was a good time. And then the series was 2-1. So we were still in the series um, at that stage going into Sydney. We asked our listeners to send in questions for you on our Twitter page. And the que- the same question came up again and again. Okay. Can you ask Alex about the time he scored 99 not out <laughs> against... New Zealand. So, so can you remind us what happened and what are your memories about it? Yeah, okay. So, all right, how long we got? Um, so, <laughs> literally, 99 was World Cup year. England had an absolute shambolic from start to finish. It was a joke. Like, they weren't happy with where they were staying. The facilities weren't great. Everything from the start wasn't great. And then we have a terrible qualifying period we don't even qualify out of the group stages get beat by India I think it was Edgebaston Alex Stewart gets sacked loses his job David um, Dave English Bumble um, loses his job so we've got literally we're playing New Zealand they've got to the semi-final they've done pretty well um, so they're jubilant and you're coming up against a team that's got literally well no captain no coach Nasser Hussain comes in as captain, his first game. Uh, Graham Gooch is the standing manager, stroke coach at the time. And you've got debutants, you've got Aftab Habib, you've got Chris Reid making debuts. Um, Mark Rambakash back in the side, Alan Mullally, Phil Tufnell, uh, Goffey was injured, there was Andrew Caddick, there's Atherton, Butcher, Hussain, Thorpe. You know, so, you know, it was like, a newish team and um, the game again at Edgebaston at that time the wicket wasn't great there was a little bit of indifference um, I think it was we I think we bowled first we bowled them out we bat and I do okay I get 32 not out or something Caddy bowl Caddy and Tuffers bowl really well and bowled them out so we're left I don't know 200 and 20 odd to win or something like that. Um, come into the change room, Nasser Hussain's like looking around going, well, we need a night watchman because there wasn't many overs left in the day. There was a bit of bad light. So Atherton and Stewart go out and like looking around thinking, oh, crikey, <laughs> who's going who's to do <laughs> night watchman? So he's literally gone, tough no, no. Uh, <laughs> Malali, no. Had a, maybe, and he went, oh, Tudor, you got some runs in the first innings. You can do it. And I always remember my dad saying to me, because I could always bat, and my dad was always like, if the opportunity comes for you to do not watch them, do it, and you show people that you can bat. So I was like, yep, yeah, cool, do it. I go in, um, I think Stewie gets Jeff Allop, bowls him. I go in, um, don't see it. David Willie, David Willie, great man who was um, umpiring, he was like, well, that's no good. <laughs> Let's bring lads off. So we come off. And then I just remember waking up in the morning, you know, 
Uh, Mark Rampakash, good friend of mine, very meticulous the way that he prepares and goes about. He got me in early, batting, loads of practice. Come on, tunes, come on, come on. And we do that. Graham Gooch gives one of his speeches. Come on, lads, you know, you do it. <laughs> Lovely guy, but that's how he speaks, you know what I mean? And um, if your opportunity's there, hit it. You know, the wicket's a bit different. <laughs> your name's going to be on one. So if, if it's there, hit it. And, and it was just one of those days where everything just clicked. And I, I remember batting with Butch um, and we put on a bit of a partnership with, with, you know, smacking it around a little bit. He then gets out. Nasser Hussain comes in and just, I don't know, he just comes out batting extremely well, gets faulty very quickly. And uh, all along, I'm, I'm going along, you know, nicely having a day of my life, you know, crowds going nuts, singing my name and all this. I mean, it's a Saturday afternoon. And then my teammate, you know, sorry, team or whatever, Graham Fort comes in. And as he walks in, there must have been, I don't know, 40 to win, something like that. And he's like, Chew, this is what it's about, isn't it, big man? You know, we're about to win this game. Crowd shouting your name. This is this is what Test Cricket is about. I said, yeah, man, this is amazing. But I said, look, he goes, I'm going to help you get your 100. Like four, I was like, 4P, and a lot of people don't know this. I said, 4P. We can't afford to mess around and take liberties with sport. You know, from an early age, I'd always say, don't take liberties because the game will come bite you in a bum. I was like, look, we got ramps is on a pair. Have to have a bead, didn't get any. Chris Reed, and then we got a long, a long tail. So if the ball's there, hit it. Little did I know that he was actually going to come in and start teeing off and <laughs> smoking it to all parts. So as he's scoring his runs, the runs that I'm trying to get to my 100 are whittling down, and then the crowd start to get involved there, booing. You know, Stephen Fleming, to be fair, was setting the field to a point where, you know, there was no one in front of square when Graham Fort was on strikes because he obviously doesn't want me to get 100 against New Zealand. Um, so, you know, four pill punch it in front of square. We're running freeze and, you know, the odd one will go to the boundary. Crowd's booing. I'm like, <laughs> like these are England fans. We're about to win a game. What are they moaning about? And obviously everyone was just hyped on this young lad Night Watchman doing well and they, you know, willing me on to get this hundred, but you know, it was getting less and less. And I literally needed to try and hit a six to get to my hundred. I top edged it over Adam Perore off McCullough, uh, of Craig McMillan. And it went for four, ended up 99, not out. And as you say, you know, it never gets forward. I mean, look, 23 or so years on, you know, people still ask me about that. Um, they want to know, as I said, you know, I've sort of forgotten about it. Not forgotten about it, but I'm okay with it. You know, I mean, and I suppose I'm 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 better known for this 99 not out. It's still an English record. I remember the other year, the other couple of years ago, when Jack Leach was at Lords getting 90 odd against um, Ireland, and he's getting these runs, and every, and all of a sudden the Twitter feed starts to to fill up because I was was I at school? I don't know what I was doing. I was at school or whatever, so I don't know what's going on. But, you, you know, you have a little look at your phone and all of a sudden you see all these notifications. I'm thinking, what's going on? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, choose. do you think that Jack Leach is going to beat you? And, and I said, well, records are there to be beaten. I hope someone beats it. But I said, listen, you know, my my runs were against New Zealand. My runs were against uh, Alot, Nash, uh, Chris Cairns, Simon Dahl, Daniel Vittori. That's the five. That's a five. proper five. I said, no disrespect to Ireland, but you know what I mean? I was like, 
So I said, listen, it is what it is. Um, and as I said, one day someone will beat it. You just get on with it. But um, yeah, it was a, 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 a good time, a day I'll never forget. Um, the adulation, the amount of, like, I think I've, I've never had my phone where it literally says your mailbox, your voice mailbox is full. Literally everyone was had contact to me. The world's media wanted to have a piece of me. They had even like at my my girlfriend at the time, they had traipsed her at her work and all sorts. And she didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, they were phoning the shop and all that. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So it was like for two weeks or so, I, I sort of said, oh, this is what it must feel for David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> it was just crazy. I'd walk the street, you know, cars are bibbing, lorries are bibbing. It was, it was, it was, um, because it was on terrestrial TV as well. It was on Channel 4. So obviously, you know, you you had a lot of people watching it and able to watch it. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was a crazy two weeks. But yeah, one that I'll never forget. Did did you forgive Graham for, for not helping you to get 100? I have, but my mum hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've, always said to, I've always said to four people, do not meet Mrs. Tudor. Uh, 23 years on I mean this and there was all sorts of stuff going on there was conspiracy theories in the West Indian community why they wouldn't allow me to get my 100 and all sorts of stuff Um, but my mum was very very upset I remember a couple of years after that like a good few years after that um, coming from the Oval I'm driving back home um, I'm by Battersea Dogs home and I'm I'm at the at the lights and uh, a Rasta man pulls up next to me music blaring and he's like, "Why turn? You know, pull your pull your put your window down." I'm like, "Oh my god, what have I done here?" So I pull my window down, and uh, and there's no like names on the side of the car. My number plate. I've never had a personal number plate, so I don't know. Like, how the hell does this guy know who I know? I am. Anyway, my window pulled down, and he literally just, man, if I see that fop, I gotta kill him. Like, he was really upset. I was like, "Bro, it's like." five years or so on from what it was let it go I'm like I'm okay with it you should be okay with it but it was still you know five years on he was still upset that you know Thorpe didn't let me get his hundred and every time the anniversary of it comes on you can see you know people's comments and stuff are still so upset with Thorpe I'm like listen man it is what it is don't worry about it and I know Thorpe later in life he wrote a book and he says it was one of his regrets not getting me to that hundred and whatever. But you know, we have a bit of a laugh and joke about it now and, and stuff like that. But I still tell him, don't, don't, please don't meet my mum. <laughs> <laughs> you you played with some great players for both Surrey and England. There must have been some great jokes and pranksters in the changing room. Do you have any funny stories from your time playing cricket? Oh gosh. I mean, listen, I uh I've played with some some characters. Um, I've played with some people that are dead serious about I mean, I, I can tell you what. Well, we, we had a, a lad in our side in the Surrey change room and you always have one that sort of keeps the team together with the jokes and the humour and stuff like that. And his name was Nadeem Shaheed. You know, he, he played at Essex, came to us, very, very good player, lives out in, in South Africa now with his wife and, and child and stuff like that. But he... Um, he was a good, he was a great team guy, and he'd always keep the morale up. He would sometimes say the wrong thing at the at the wrong time, and and sort of sometimes get the 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 mood wrong 
you know, like, because he always wants to be a joker and, and, and be funny, but sometimes you might catch someone when they're, they're not that great. And I remember when we were playing Lancashire, but this is at Old Trafford now, and uh, this is where we, we got the brunt of Flint off. And they needed, I don't know, 240-something in not, not so long. So Freddie came in as a bench hitter. And literally, he hit me for 38 in this over. And as I said, the mathematicians would be like, well, how the hell did you go for 38? But obviously, there was some no balls and, and stuff like that. And I always say to kids that I was quite lucky because my last ball was a dot ball. So it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> but literally, <laughs> Freddie's come in and got 50 in absolutely no time, got out. Anyway, we lose the game. I'm feeling like crap. Uh, and I sit down and Nad being the joker that he is to try and, you know, try and get me to forget about it and whatever. He was like, oh, Tudor, man, Mrs. Tudor ain't going to cook, you know, dinner tonight, boy. And I was like, I was fuming, like red was coming out. I was like, I was nearly going to jump on him and flutter him. But I was like, Nad, this is not <laughs> the time to be making this joke. But he sort of just got, but that was just Nad. And he was like that. I mean, there'll be other times where um, a story that doesn't really get told. We won the championship. And as I said to you guys earlier, Alex Stewart is very meticulous on how his kit is. You do not mess with Alex Stewart's kit. Well, Jason Ratcliffe forgot about this memo. And when we won the championship, everyone's in a joyous mood and everyone's happy. Well, <laughs> he uh, he did something that you do not mess with. And he messed with Alex Stewart's gloves or something. He did something that I can't really say on air, but he did something... In his cricket, we had cricket coffins, and he did something in his coffin, and uh, Alec didn't take too kind to this. Um, so then Alec did something to him, and then I think the rebuttal from uh, Jason Ratcliffe was he did something to Alex Stewart's car, like slit the tire or something. <laughs> that that was a no no, and 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 Alec being Alec was like, okay, this is a laugh and a joke, but. When I turn up here in the morning to pick my car up, that wants to be sorted because obviously Alec has the power to <laughs> terminate your contract, make sure life for you at Surrey is very unpleasant. <laughs> you better sort that stuff out. And uh, he, he made sure, you know, Alex Stewart's <laughs> tyre was fine the next morning before Alec, you know, obviously because they had drunk that night. So he, you know, he left the car at the ground, wake up, you know, next morning, whatever, come in and drive home. And, uh, his tire was it was uh, pristine the next day. You know, he obviously had to call out the the truck to come and sort this out before Alec wakes up. And so, but it was yeah, you, you know, you get things like that where you know, obviously, um, say pranks and stuff, and it goes a little bit wrong. And it's like know your know your individual. Don't mess with with the with the gaffer's garms, clothes, his batting kit. Just do not mess with it. Do something <laughs> else, but don't mess with that. He, he's not going to take too kind to that. And uh, yeah, Jason Ratcliffe found out the, the hard way. A few years later, you were recalled to the England team to play in a in a home Ashes. Did you mm. find playing the Ashes in England and did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. Listen, playing against that side, I mean, it was phenomenal. Um, you know, there was a few... Obviously, retirees from when I first played. So, obviously, you're thinking about Ian Healy, uh, Slater, um, uh, Mark Taylor. Those individuals weren't on the 2001 tour. 
but they were a very, very good side. Um, you know, you're thinking of Hayden, Langer, Ponting, War, War, and then some bloke called Gilchrist strolling in, strolling in at seven <laughs> was an absolute nightmare. So, um, yeah, listen, it was, again, I came in at uh, Trent Bridge. Uh, you know, it hadn't gone too well early on, came in at Trent Bridge. Uh, Nasser Hussain was injured. Mike Atherton took took over as captain. And again, I had a little bit of a niggle um, leading up to that game. And again, Athers, who I got really well with, he was like, look, just let me know, you know, um, really love you to play can you play blah, blah blah and I was like listen look you want me I'm there so I played and got five for five for what was it 40 something or whatever 45 or whatever it was and um, yeah you know again the names that you get out and, and, and be it we were still trying to keep in the series at that time and you know we had a sniff because we bowled them out and then Jason Gillespie blew us away got five for um, and they needed 130 odd to chase, and we had them three down or whatever it was. And I think was that the time where uh, we had lost and was Ponting dancing? I'm not Ponting. Was I think that might have been one where where Shane Warne was dancing because I think they had won won the series at that stage. And then we went to Headingley, and that's where Mark Butcher got his his one seven three, where Gilchrist took over as captain because Steve Wall got injured at Old Trafford um, at Trent Bridge. Um, so what, we were 3-0 down going in, going into that one. But uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, my parents were able to come, my brother. Um, obviously, you, you when you're on an away tour, it's less stressful because you're not having to worry about who's coming, tickets, everyone trying to get <laughs> in, in contact with you. When you play a home series, it's an absolute nightmare, and you 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 you, you negotiate with the lads, right? So uh, he's from up north; he ain't going to have no one down south. Can I have your tickets? And and the same when you're up north, you got no one down there. Can I have your tickets? And there's all those negotiations going on. Um, it can be quite stressful, um, but it was nice. It was nice to you know play a home a home Ashes, you know, to play in Ashes as a young guy. The history of it the team that you're playing against as well with those great names players, Warren, McGrath, Lee, Gillespie, War, War, Ponting, Hayden, Langer, Gilchrist. I mean, the names just, I mean, it's like an, it's an all-star team really that you're playing against. So to, you always want to test yourself against the best to see where you're at. It's always been like that for me since school. And when you play against other schools and then you play county, you play against other counties, always test yourself to see if you're able to compete and, and, and and be on their level, so to to play against those individuals was um, fantastic. Um, something that would always stay with me, and I always felt like I did okay against them. I had a, a wretched injury career and whatever, um, but whenever facing up against the best, I I generally did okay. You have travelled the world playing cricket. What has been your favourite place to go, and why? Uh. Well, Australia is the tour. I mean, that is the tour of tours to, to go on, just purely because of the history of it. I mean, it's a beautiful place, um, <laughs> how they treat you. I mean, from once you uh, get off the plane, you know, they 
they don't let up. You go through customs. They want to check your bag. They don't want no like they. You have to clean your boots. Your boots have to be pristine. They don't want none of that English soil in Australia whatsoever. Um, you you go out for dinner. You know the waitress and wait, waiters are, are giving you stick, telling you that Shane Warne and McGrath's going to get you. We're like, well, tell me something new. You know the banners <laughs> always flying. You walk the street, and I don't mind that because I grew up in South London and. You know, that was like commonplace. Like, so I, I didn't mind the banter and I, you know, we have we have a lot of banter from where I grew up. It was like, you know, you know, your Mickey taking and 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 that type of thing. That was regular on my estate and that type of thing. You would go out, as we used to say, to get cuss. There'll be cussing going on and 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 you had to take it because if you didn't and you cried and you ran off, you couldn't show your face again. So you had to be quite the way that you handled yourself and stuff and know that you were going to take your medicine one day, but on another day, someone else is going to get it. And that type of thing, it made a, it made, it made you strong and, and, and made you a good character and stuff like that. So um, that was, that was good. So going out there and, and, and getting that, I found it quite funny and, and amusing, but you know, they're good people and um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and then obviously, you know, I'll be a bit biased. Obviously, touring, uh, I went on the, the West Indies. Obviously, my parents being from Barbados, but going to all the other islands on an England A tour, you know, Pakistan, um, being a young lad going out to Pakistan. Um, went there as an under 19. Freddie Frintoff was our captain. We went over sort of November, Christmas. We were there for Christmas. Lads hated it because um, it was like baking hot. Obviously, they don't celebrate it. Um, so, you know, sitting around a table doing secret Santa and stuff was a little bit of a, <laughs> it was, um, it, it didn't go down too well. Um, lads just missing home, wanted a, you know, a, a proper Christmas dinner and stuff like that. But it was a, a an experience that I'll, I'll never forget. Um, we actually did well out there. We won both one, one day series and, and a test series. Um, and then was able to go back later with the senior England side. So to say I've been to those type of places. I, I, I've been to countries I would never have been if it wasn't for cricket. So it's 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 given me a lot. Um, I thoroughly enjoy what I do now in coaching. I've done it ever since I finished. I love coaching kids. It's what I'm about. My, my older brother and I, you know, I think maybe something is something that dad ingrained in us. But he always said it would be a miss of you to to not give back for you know everything that the great the game's given us and the people we've rubbed shoulders with and what we've learned and played at a high level. You know, you, you got to try and give back to our youth. Uh, and that's what we do. You know, we just, we try and give back and, 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 and give them some nuggets that they can take onto their lives, really. It doesn't even have to be about, oh, how you're covered drive and how well you're bowling and seeing coming out. It's just life lessons is what we tell you. You know, life lessons on how you speak to people, your manners, respect, how you carry yourself and all these type of things that are going to lead you into hopefully a, a good and successful career, make sure you do these things. And I know that parents nail them and tell them these type of things that sometimes they don't want to listen to parents. They're rather listening it to from a teacher. And as you, you would know in your, as what you do as well. And, you know, kids are really receptive to their teachers and stuff. So um, we have important roles and stuff. And I, I enjoy what I do. Wake up every morning and think, yeah, I'm going to you know, hopefully mold another one and, and, and stuff like that. And, Hopefully, you know the penny will drop with this kid and 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 stuff like that. And it's um it's very fulfilling, very enjoyable. 
A few years later, in March 2002, your teammate Ben Holyoke sadly lost his life in a car accident. Mm-hmm. What are your memories of that, and how did the club support the players at that time? Um, well, that was a rough time because Ben and I have grown up together from schoolboy cricket to signing together at Surrey and and being very close, being roommates. So that was that was a very difficult time. I remember just getting a phone call, um, and I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know to that extent. So I remember Ian Salisbury called me. He said, oh, I've got some news about Ben. And I, I was like, oh, is he out for the season? And he went, no, mate, we, we've lost him. And I just couldn't believe it. I Because I'd seen him a month before in, in Perth. And uh, we had a barbecue around his family's house. And I said, oh, I'll see you at pre-season. Um, so to get that news, I was like, oh, what's he done now, the silly guy? Is he, you know, injured himself? And Ian Salisbury just saying that we had, um, we know, sorry, mate, we've lost him. And I remember just shouting very loudly. Um, and then we just, we all met up the next day at Ian Salisbury's house and, and just seeing it on the news and, we all came together and the club were phenomenal. Um, within a day or so, they were like, right, the club are going to pay for you guys to go to Australia, get out there to the funeral as a club. We're going to support this. And and we did. We went out there and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a really rough time. But to go out there and support the family, I mean, as I said, Adam's like my brother. And just seeing him and and his... Eulogy was like a Martin Luther King speech. It was unfriggin' believable. And the emotion. Um, and just us all being there together to remember Ben. And as I said, you know, yes, he died young, but he lived those years as he wanted to live them. And he had a, and a good life. Um, you know, I miss him every day. You know, it's, what, 20 years or so since he's passed, which I can't believe. Um, me and Adam are... So close, it's ridiculous. He comes to England, he comes and stays here. My kids absolutely love him. My wife calls him her second husband. Um, and and we're brothers, man. We're brothers. We might not be free blood, but we're literally we're brothers, man. I, I see him as my big brother. Um, it's how I introduce him when I meet people or whatever. He's he's literally not Adam Holyoke. He's my brother. Um, so that was a, a really rough time, but the club came together. Um, and were were brilliant, and the players, and we we remember him to this day. Um, and we just, you know, you just it's sometimes tough, but we just think of the funny things he did, the talent, how good looking he was. That we all used to annoy how good looking he was. Women used to absolutely love him. He just had those eyes, those hazel eyes, his bone structure. He was in good nick. And, you know, the sad thing was he was just establishing himself in that England one day side. He was just getting it. He was starting to perform and sadly he was taken away from us. And um, he's up there looking down, down on us, you know, but um, yeah, miss him every day. Uh, Injury played a big part in your career. How did you manage to cope with being injured and did it ever affect you mentally? Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough one. And I always say I I was plagued with injury, especially through my professional career. When I was younger, I barely got injured. But getting into the professional game, obviously the intensity of everything and the training, it was just 
I used to just get injured, but my injuries were major injuries. It wasn't like, oh, he's got a hamstring tear or anything like that. It was, you know, my knees, broken pelvis, broken rib, <laughs> um, torn shoulder, metatarsal before anyone knew what it was before we were blessing the paper when David Beckham did it. I'd done it <laughs> long before then. Um, so I was just playing with injury and it was one of those where it was tough because there were times where, especially if the team weren't performing or, you know, you, they felt like you're no use to us at this moment. You used to get a cold shoulder or you'd get the rib taken out. Are oh, you injured again? And it, you know, and all those little things, they, 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 it's tough. It's tough. But as I said, I have a good network around me, with my family um, and, and close friends and, and, and they just keep you going. And, you know, a, a, a good friend of mine would be like, right, Al, how are we getting back training? He'll come with me and, train with me and, and, and stuff like that and just get yourself back and just like, right, I've been at the top. I want to get back there and just train and train and train. And and that's how I used to just do it. You know, just put some music on, put some serious tunes on and and just get in the gym and, and try and get myself right. See the physio how many times I needed to see him a day, two, three times. Um, the physio at the time, John Gloucester was brilliant. He would also come in and train with me. Andy Jackson was like our PT and he would go in the gym also with me. And, 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 and as I'm doing these exercises, he's doing it to keep me going. And it, it, was, it, it, was, it wasn't as bad. They were good. They were, they were good times. Not good times, obviously, because you're injured. But the people that I had behind me picking me up and, and, and trying to get me back on the road was um, something I'll never forget. Uh, I'm never grateful for them putting in you know, the hard work, trying to get me back. And, and you say you learn a lot when you're when you're not when you're injured because you you um, have time to think about you know maybe certain games how you're going to come back what you're going to do what you need to improve on you have a lot of time to think um, so I, I had a lot of time I mean as I said I had a 14 15 year career but I reckon five or so years was was I had through injury so I, I missed a, I missed a lot of cricket. You left Surrey in 2005 after 10 years. Why did you leave Surrey and was that a difficult decision? Well, I, I didn't leave. I had a year left in my contract. Uh, I think it was 2004. And um, I was actually meant to go in the next day to have a meeting about my contract. But apparently they called a, a meeting, this last minute meeting, and, and made a decision that they were going to terminate my contract. Well, at that time, my partner was, my ex-partner was um, pregnant with my first daughter. So I remember driving to the hospital and getting a call from the chairman telling me, your services are no, no longer required. Like, well, I'm just going to the hospital because, you know, there's been a few complications during pregnancy that I need to try and deal with. I ain't got time for this. And I remember phoning Jason Ratcliffe because at the time he was, deputy chief of the PCA um, and just telling news and he basically dealt with it um, and, and it sorted out but it just it left a little bit of a sour taste really because you know I, I, I get the frustration of you know we've got this this lad who can play some cricket but he's always injured it wasn't my fault uh, and as I said I had a year left on my contract and they you know I was meant to go in the next day to have this meeting and they obviously decided to go a different way um, so I was I was upset, but luckily, 
when one door shuts, another one opens. And Ronnie Arani and Darren Goff called me up, um, wanted to bring me down Essex. But the first thing they said was, we know you can play, Al, because obviously I've played with them with England, but we want to get you back fit. And then that's when they took me out to Germany. And I met Hans Muller-Wolfart, who's an absolute legend, genius to every sporting man and woman in and around the world. Um, he was the Bayern Munich, national, uh, Bayern Munich doctor and a German national doctor, an absolute, you know, um, one of a kind. You know, people talk about meeting geniuses. Well, he is one. Um, and he literally, I went out to see him and he said, I'm 85% sure that I'll get you playing again. And I said, I'll take those odds. And true to his word, he was. And between himself and the guy in London called Kevin Didlow, uh, that happened. Um, and I was able to, you know, play at Essex for, for three or four years. Went back to Surrey for one year. And then in 09, sort of at 31, um, the doors were sort of shutting on me, really. You know, I could see the game going a different way with the finances, getting the younger players in because they'll be, you know, you wouldn't have to pay as much and that type of thing. And they wanted to go a, a, a different way. And I just thought, well, I just don't want to go around the circuit and people be old. Well, you come for a trial and see how you get on. I'm like, I'm 31. You know what I can do. I'm not trialing. I'm not doing that. And then, yeah, I just went a, a different way, really. Just went into coaching um, and, and loved it ever since. Fab, we've got a few more questions, Alex. That's okay? Yeah, that's no problem, buddy. Uh, Tom, do you want to do number 21? Sure. Um, since retiring, you have done some coaching and media work. Do you enjoy working within the media? And is this something you want to do more of? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the opportunity. I mean, I, I've been fortunate in my career when I played. Um, I used to do a lot for BBC around that 2005 time. Used to do literally every uh, T20 finals day um, with the BBC. Done a little bit for Sky back then, around in 05. You score on Sky News. They used to have a half an hour sports line program that John Desborough used to run. And a good friend of mine, Lee Wellings, who was the producer, and they used to call me up. I used to go down to Isleworth. You'd see meet Eamon Holmes and, and all these things and be in my suit and look all nice. And, and he'd be like, oh, your parents would be very impressed with you, Alex. I said, listen, I'm representing not just myself. <laughs> I'm representing the family in there. I have to look good. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed that. I enjoyed doing that. And then uh, during lockdown, uh, Rob Key got in contact with me, said, Brian Henderson, who's the, who's the boss at Sky Cricket, wants to have a chat. Would it be something you'd be interested in? I said, it's something I've always wanted to do. Of course, had a chat with him. Um, and, and last year, did Blast Games and, and the 100. And this year, did exactly the same. And I love it. And just working with... Obviously, I was lucky enough to play with Nasser and Afers as players, but to see them in the media, and I call them the goats because they're unbelievable. Uh, but Nick Knight, Mark Butcher, Charles Dagnall, all these, you know, it's, it's a really good, like, family we have up at, at Sky, and I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I've also done Talk Sport for a long time, and, and John Norman, who's the, who's, the, uh, who's the cricket man there, and, and, and the people that he's 
you know, he's got us together there as well with Darren Goff and Mark Nicholas and Darth Batty and, and, and all these people. It's, it's, been, it's been great. And you're talking about a sport that you love and getting paid for it um, is, is a bonus. But um, yeah, just talking about the great game and, and, and if you pass on some nuggets that is going to help. And I always have my coaches and teachers head on when I am doing it because I know that the kids at my school and others are listening. So I'm always trying to put a coach's point in there and the reason why Josh Butler's playing the ramp and uh, Owen Morgan, when he was playing, is playing the reverse sweep and the reasons why they're doing it. That's I try and explain that because obviously kids see these lads and girls doing what they're doing and they go into the nets and try and do it straight away. But I said there's a method why they're doing it. Uh, and I try and I break that and try and break that down for them. Really, you know, just they're trying to hit the ball where the fielders are not. That is the key <laughs> to to batman, batsmanship and, and and scoring runs. You know, don't hit the ball to the fielders. Hit it where the gaps are. <laughs> or if they're in the if they're in the field, hit it over the field, and and that's where the game's gone now. I mean, they don't just hit it over the field; they're hitting it out of the stadiums now, aren't they? Um, so the, the game's moved on, but it's um, I'm lucky enough to still be in it. And around it, and you see these lads, and you see the way they train, and the way that they prepare for games now, and um, you know how how the game has, as I said, moved on. It's so quick, fast pace. You know, lads are bowling good pace. Lads are smoking it out, and girls are smoking it out the the ground. I suppose it's it's, it's great entertainment at the moment. Yeah, I saw was it yesterday or the day before Liam Liv- Liam Livingston cleared the mm. was it the MCG the three levels. Yeah, and- yeah. I said I'm, I'm I said I'm glad I'm retired. I mean, <laughs> I, I I listened to the you know when we're in the pod at Sky and we're in the pod and we're commentating the stuff. The the noise that it makes off the back is like a gunshot. The violence on the ball. I said I feel sorry for that 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 five and a half <laughs> ounce red leather ball. It's I mean it gets brutally beaten. On a regular basis in the in the in the shorter format of the game, and as you said, these guys now have no fear. Where back in the day in the nineties, early two thousands, where if you put a man on the rope, a batter's going to hit it along the carpet, you know, and get the one or try and get the two. Where they're like, I oh, don't give a rat who's out there. I'm clearing them. I will back myself to clear the boundary, and that's what they're doing. The the, the fear levels are now gone. The lads are now, well, that's the way I play. Um, and more often than not, it, it, it comes off for the individual. Um, you were involved in Fanny Flintoff's hit TV show, Field of Dreams. Mm. That was a great TV show, and there is going to be another series. Did you enjoy taking part in the show? I did, yeah. Um, Fred contacted me during lockdown. He, you know, he's, he's good friends with uh, so Steve Harmison and. Rob Key are like his best mates. I've known Fred since the age of eight, you know, and um, he uh, and obviously because of my background in coaching, he just said he's pitched the show to the BBC. What do you think? And I just said, look, what way do you want to go about it? Um, and I said, like, you know, is there some longevity to it? You're not just doing one of these. And he said, no, no, you trust me, that's not what I do. Um, so I said, yeah, I'm in. Um, and it was just, it was, it was interesting to see the way it went, you know, because I think watching it, I think people just, they felt like, oh, I like this character. So Sean and that, they were like, he, he's an interesting character. So you wanted to see his development 
and then and and then how how they progress. And I just think again that show just showed you for me was you give kids the opportunity, but also you give them some love and stop telling them that they're failures and they're no good to society and they're a waste of time and space and all that type of foolishness. You you actually give some time for these kids. You'll be surprised on what they give you back or what they can do. And it doesn't have to be just in sport, just in life, because obviously Sean, you know, he was never going to be a fantastic cricketer. But from learning with that show where he was having issues, always getting expelled from school, getting himself into trouble, doing other things, all of a sudden he felt like, actually, I'm actually quite a good plumber. And that's what he went into. So it was a, it was a great lesson. And, and, you know, people that have come up to me since doing that show and, and people have reached out and just said, look, it was, it was, it was great the way, they, way that they've done it. And just interesting to see the characters that come from it. You know, some of them are household whole names now. Sean, um, Ben, you know, people are in love with these characters and with these guys. And it's good that, um, that it's got green light for another show, another series. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Freddie does with this one. That show highlighted some of the challenges facing cricket, such as children from working class backgrounds not being able to access cricket. Do you think more could be done to make cricket accessible for all? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it comes down to the finances. I mean, there's more money in the game than ever. But does it all filter down? No, it doesn't. You know, we know that administrators, players, agents... And other people take the bulk of the money and little bits trickle down. But for me, more needs to trickle down. We need to worry about the future of our game, the young people. They need to be able to see it. Children want to do what they can see. It's still, you know, and I walk, I work for an organisation, but they front up, you know, with Sky. They front up the money and, and so on. But not every kid can afford that. So... You know, I've, I've said it for a very long time where, you know, what, what is enough? As in, what is enough? I always feel like our national sports, so that's football, rugby, cricket, whatever it is, all our internationals should be on mainstream TV for everyone to be able to see. Um, I know, obviously, I, I get the finances and everything like that. I, I get that. My argument is always what is enough. Um, I just think if we want our game to thrive and to have longevity, kids need to be able to see it. So not too long ago, I, I brought uh, Alistair Cook, Sir, Sir Alistair Cook now, but Alistair Cook to my school. He did a dinner for me and all that. And it was interesting that the kids, you know, and all what Alistair Cook's done, you know, England's leading test run scorer, the 3100s, whatever, England captain. He had never played a game on terrestrial TV. He's never played an England or whatever game on terrestrial TV. So a lot of the kids didn't know who he was because he's not on social media. He, you've not seen him on adverts. He's not that type of cat. He just plays his cricket, goes to the farm. He's not one of those guys where you're going to see him all the time. So a lot of the kids, unless, you know, they were diehard, cricketers or whatever or they heard the name but a lot of the kids didn't know who he was and that's for me that's sad um, you know we've got one of our greatest ever players the career he's had 
He's also been captain for England for, you know, five years or whatever it is. And they didn't know who he was. And that's purely because they don't see him. Yeah. It was similar um, with Freddie on that show. None of the, the kids have heard who Freddie was and he's one of England's no. greatest other cricketers. Uh, or, or they've seen him on something different, be it a Giacomo ad Top or, or <laughs> Top Gear or, or anything like that. They don't know him from cricket. You know, because you've got to remember, like Fred did his thing in 2005. He was finished by 2009. Or, yeah, 2009, I think he was done. So it's like, especially for England, I was, it was like, so you've got a generation of kids that have no idea. They, they know who Freddie Flintoff is, but they didn't know he played cricket. They know him from adverts and, and, and all those type of things. And as I said, you know, doing Top Gear and, and doing, you know, UK Ninja Warrior or whatever it was and all those type. They know Fred from that. So his, his you know, life after cricket, but they don't know what he did within cricket. Um, so that's sad, but it's, it is what it is, isn't it? And uh, I said it will take someone very strong or people or an organisation very strong to, to make a decision and say, look, you know, all our national sports, all all our main sports need to be on so kids can see it. Because that's how we grew up. You know, when you had your four channels, your, your BBC one, two, three, four, not even five. You know, you had one, two, three, four, and, you know, you'd see a NatWest game, um, a 50-over game, internationals on TV. You know, a lot of the, the catch from the 80s and stuff would be able to tell you teams and you know, the Lancashire team back then, the Yorkshire team, Northampton team with Lamb and Larkins and all these guys in there, you'd be able to reel off names because you remember seeing it. You know, the numbers were there, you know, but as you said, you know, money is what makes the world go round and um, money talks at the end of the day. But as I said, you know, what is enough? There's always going to be my question, what is enough? Very true. I think we've got two more. Do you want to go, Tom? Before we finish, we would like to play a few quick fire game with you. We would okay. like we would like to ask you some questions, but you have to give wrong answers only. Okay, that's going to be hard for me, but go on. Okay, are you ready? Remember, wrong answers only. Oh, wrong answers only. Oh God, all right. I thought you said one answers only. Okay, great. Wrong answer. Wrong, an- okay. wrong answer. Wrong answer. Yeah. Favourite food? Uh, pizza. Best stadium you've played at? Headingley. Favourite teammate? <laughs> Martin Bicknell. The best thing about Alex Tudor is? Uh, Joker. My jokes. What is your dream job? Doctor. What is the highlight of your career? Uh, <laughs> the wrong answer. Yeah, answer. Um, going for 38 and over. Favourite holiday destination? Uh, oh, um, Australia. Thank you. Each week on the podcast, we asked our guests to ask a question for another guest on the podcast. However, the person does not know who they are asking the question to. This week's question comes from Island rugby player uh, Jordan, yeah, Jordan Murphy, who asked, "You can stop one crime forever, 
but the way you can stop it from ever happening again is by committing that crime yourself. After you have committed it, that crime will never happen again anywhere in the world. What crime are you choosing and why? <laughs> wow. Man, that is deeper. Yeah. So you can stop a crime from happening ever again, but the way you stop it happening is by doing yeah. it yourself. Guns, I don't like guns. I don't, I just don't, I just banished them. So yeah, gun crime. I would say knife crime, but I would say, I would say guns because these with a knife, you may have a chance, but guns, I know. There's a no-no. I mean, I know obviously that's not so much a, an, a, a, a UK problem, but I, you know, I just don't like guns. You take guns away, then I think people will be able to be a hell of a lot safer. So yeah, gun uh, crime. People shooting up schools and all the foolishness. No, no. Mm-mm. No, guns. Could you think of a question that you could ask on next guest, please? However, yeah, we are um, not going to tell you. We don't know who it is. I can't tell you who it is. All right, you can't tell me who it is. All right, so no, it's going to be a sports person. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'll go with that. So um, it would be... Um, wow. Um, <laughs> I suppose... It, it is, but I, I suppose as a sports person, I, there's always times where the person you most dislike in your team, even though you had to, you know, you played with them and you had that shared goal of winning, but who was the, who was the person you really disliked in your team? Like who was selfish? Who, you, who got on people's nerves? Who was that individual that... You know, when that person got injured, you had a little bit of a cheer and and, and stuff like that. you were quite happy. Or if when they moved on, yeah, you know. Well, well, can I can I ask you that question? No, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. <laughs> I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. That's not for me to answer. That's for the person <laughs> next that you get on your podcast, and they are not allowed to plead the fifth. They have to answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> Although we we asked Adam Adam Holyoke that question, or kind of similar to that question, and, well, um, his answer was Nasser Hussein. All right, yes, but Adam <laughs> disliked a few. See, I'm surprised he said that. I thought he would have said Dominic Cork. No, oh, yeah, because like, they he's... really didn't. They really didn't like each other when they played. I mean, they get on well now, and and because we play these Masters games, these England Masters games, where the sort of old England players come back, which I'm captain of. Um, we're all in the change room and it was interesting that these two they both both like I really didn't like you and I really didn't like you you know and, and it was interesting because you had two massive alpha males two guys that were really dominant within their sides and they sort of set the tone so Corky would go hard at Adam Adam would go really hard at Corky and it, it was interesting so I'm surprised he said NASA um, but Adam most probably had a few on his list, so I suppose he could have wheeled out a few. But I know, uh, yeah, Nasser most probably Dominic Court would have been high on his list. <laughs> you still want trying to get me to answer that question, aren't you? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you off. Uh, good lad. <laughs> I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Alex. We really enjoyed speaking with you. 
And it means so much to us as well to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. No, no, my pleasure, guys. Look, I appreciate you guys asking me to come on. Um, fantastic questions. Um, really had to think about uh, about some of those. We're really deep, um, but it was really enjoyable. I think the time went really quickly. You guys are phenomenal. You know, keep keep spreading the love. I think it's important, you know, especially in these times that, you know, we talk and you, if it if this brings a bit of light levity to, to, to people, if they're feeling a little bit down and, or whatever, or they hear a nugget that helps propel them in whatever situation that they're in, then, you know, it's well worth doing. So, you know, keep doing what you guys are doing. If you ever need anything or, you know, maybe get in contact with someone within the sporting world, just reach out. We're, we'll, we'll try and do that. But as I said, you most probably got that all down at the moment. And um, yeah, keep producing the good work. So Tom, Alex has just left. Go on, talk me through. How do you think that episode went? I mean, that episode went really well. And I was glad, honestly, I need to hear about like him visiting Australia a lot of times and his involvement with the Ashes. But also him knowing like Freddie Flintoff and Adam Hollyoak and a lot of other cricketers, I feel like that involvement was especially unique to learn about. Yeah. What gets me is how much this podcast has come along and like hearing him talk and then he's talking about Adam Hollyoke. He's talking about Mark Butcher. He talks about Steve Waugh, Matthew Hayden, David Lloyd, Michael Afton, Nasser Hussein, Rob Key. These are all people we've had on our podcast. How amazing is that? Yeah, it's just, it's crazy how like we've got all those people who've gone on the podcast and then just to hear him referenced again, not only bring back memories, but it's also glad that they all connect. They've all been around each other. Yeah, it's incredible. Make sure to go follow the TWS Sports Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And if you haven't already, make sure to uh, follow us on YouTube by subscribing. And if you haven't already, make sure to listen to the podcast on either Spotify or Apple Music. Thanks, everyone, again, and I'll see you next time. Thank you very much. See you later. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.